morning, everyone. That was great. Well, here we are. Is my mic working? No? Turn it on? That might help. Can you hear me now? All right. Good deal. Well, today we're back in our building. Now, I don't look as happy as you guys do because I live right next door to Karen. So, I mean, I have mixed emotions here. No, it's exciting. Today, I want to talk about dedicating our new building. By beginning, I want to ask a question here that we want to think about, and that is if, Robert, you'll move to the first slide. And Does God care about a building? I mean, isn't it just a building? And I, I want us to kind of get a perspective as we think about where we are in the history of our church and what's going on. If you read the Bible, you'll go, okay, it seems to me that the Bible teaches God is everywhere, and he is. The Bible says heaven and the highest heavens can't contain him. So if he's everywhere, in what sense would he need or want to have a special building? But what we learn from the Bible is that even though God's invisible, he's chosen at times to put a special sense of his presence in a local location. So, for example, right from the beginning when he created Adam and Eve, he placed them in a garden, and the Bible says the Lord God would meet with them and walk with them in the garden. So even though he's everywhere, and this is kind of hard to grasp, he would at times meet people in certain locations. And there were times in the Old Testament, if you're reading the Bible, you realize that even though God can't be contained in a building, that he would choose to inhabit special places in special ways. And it seems to be for two purposes. Robert, if you'll jump down to the slide that says um, first, so that it's about two slides after 1 Kings 8, where it says first so that he could dwell among his people. I want you to think about two reasons why God might say, hey, I want to meet you in a building. First, so that he could dwell among his people in a relationship. But we're just going to look at a verse in a moment. When God led them out of the wilderness or out of Egypt into the wilderness, he says to Moses, I want you to build a tent for me to dwell in. You're like, why? He goes, well, I want you to build a tabernacle so I can dwell among you. And then secondly, as God dwelled in a certain location with his people, that could then be a magnet to attract others. Like, hey, it's not a free-for-all. There's not 900 other gods. Pick whichever god you think is good. It's like Burger King or it's like the, the food court, the God court. Oh, I feel like Chinese today. God himself, the living God, says, this is what I want you to do. Build a tabernacle. So let's look at this verse. In the book of Exodus, God says, tell the people of Israel, take a contribution. And then look at verse 8. Let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. And then he didn't take bids for what it was to look like. He didn't say, let's have a contest. To, you know, do you want a two-story? By the way, if you need a Bible, we have extra Bibles. Just raise your hand. If you don't have a Bible, take one and keep it. We want you to start reading the Bible and... Normally, we read verse by verse, but we're doing a topical message today. So God says, I want to dwell in, in the midst of my people. But as time went on, they, they moved from a tabernacle. They got into Jerusalem. Then they built a temple. And when they built a temple, Solomon said this elaborate prayer, and he asked God's presence to fill the temple. And so the glory of the Lord filled the temple. They couldn't even go inside of it. But if you're thinking historically, you're like, okay, God's everywhere, but he met him in a garden. God's everywhere, but he said, build a sanctuary that I may dwell with them. God's everywhere, but he says, I'm going to meet you in the temple in Jerusalem. But then as history moves along, 
2,000 years ago, the Bible teaches that God's son, Jesus Christ, came to earth. And there's a really interesting verse. Robert, if you could move to John 1.14. Look at this verse. When Jesus Christ came to earth, it says, the word became flesh. Now, the word is a name for Jesus. But the next phrase, it says, he dwelt among us. Now, the word dwelt, remember the New Testament was written in, in Greek. The word dwelt there isn't the normal word for just living. It's actually a word that means he tabernacle or tent was a verb back then. Like, you know, you want, we call it camping. They would go tenting. So the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. He, Jesus was the place where God was dwelling when he was on earth. In a very special way, he himself had the glory of God living inside of him. But while he was on earth for the, the, the three and a half years of his ministry, he began to teach that there's going to be another change. It's not going to be about a building. So in Jesus' day, the Samaritans had set up their own building. So you know how nowadays you can go past the Methobacterian church and then you've got the, the, um, the Muslims might have a mosque and then the um, Jehovah's Witnesses have a kingdom hall and the Baha'i faith has this and the Jews have a synagogue. So in Jesus' day, there were two big temples, one on Mount Gerizim in, in Samaria, and then the Temple of Solomon in Jerusalem. And so a lot of people were just like, well, they're all trains going to the, to the same place. And some people were actually like, well, you know what? It really, um, ours is right, yours is wrong. So let's look at this verse in John chapter 4, if we'll jump down. This lady says to Jesus, our fathers worshiped in this mountain. So Jesus is in Samaria you know, at this temple. But you people say in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, woman, and I wasn't disrespectful. He said, what do you think about something? An hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem you'll worship the Father. Now, wait a minute. So he's going, all right, this idea of me dwelling in one special place, that's going to change. He says, first of all, to the Samaritan woman, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we, what we know. Now, doesn't that sound narrow-minded? Doesn't that sound bigoted? Doesn't that sound like Jesus is saying his way is better? Well, if there is truth, and Jesus is the truth, and he's the son of God, what's bigoted about saying it's my way or no way? Jesus said, you worship what you don't know. And there are a world of people out there, well, while they might mean well, if they're worshiping the wrong God and worshiping in the wrong way, Jesus doesn't go, hey, it doesn't matter. We're all on trains to go to heaven. But he says to the woman, the true worshipers are going to worship in spirit and in truth. That's what God's looking for. So, so the reality here is that Jesus was telling us that it's not going to be so important in the future, the location, but what's going to be important is your heart's condition. Now, that doesn't mean that Uncle Larry, who never goes to church, can say, that's why I just worship God on the deer stand. I don't need to go to church all them hypocrites. Right? That's not his point. But his point is, it's not about location. It's about the heart's condition. So needless to say, as time moved forward and Jesus pours out the Holy Spirit, the presence of God was no longer going to be limited in the same way to a building. So what God began to introduce is that he's going to start taking individuals and living inside of them and then gathering them together, and they're going to be the building. 
They're going to be the temple on earth right now. So let's look at an interesting verse. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul writes to the Corinthians who, who, were, who were way too close with unbelievers and false teachers. It's one thing to be around people who don't seek the Lord. It's another thing to let them drag you down and to act like them, to be doing the things that you know God doesn't want you to do. And this is one of the problems for some Christians. They go to one or two extremes. They become either so separated and isolated from unbelievers that they have no influence or they're so engaged with unbelievers that they're just like them, sinning just like them, acting just like them, ignoring God just like them. So Paul says, don't be bound together with unbelievers. What partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? It's one of the reasons why we encourage you. Why would you marry an unbeliever? What do you have in common? Is that how you want to raise your kids? And they're going to, tell, they're going to say, ah, it doesn't matter. And you're going to say, Jesus is the only way. He says, what harmony has Christ with Belial? What is a believer in common with an unbeliever? Now, on the one hand, we have a lot in common. We like movies and sports and food and stuff like that. But our worldview is so different. It's like, why would I want to be married to someone who completely views life differently? So he says, what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. So it might be fair to say it this way. Thank you, temple of the living God for coming into this building this morning. There was pressure that we might not be able to get here on time. What are we going to do if we can't come into the temple of God? Well, we are the temple of God. We could have we met in the field. God wouldn't have gone, oh, I don't have my sunscreen. or you know, we don't, <laughs> not used to being outdoors like that. We are the temple of God. God says, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I'll be their God and they'll be my people. So, so it's a cool way to think of this. If you were watching this building growing, either if you went online or you drove by from time to time, some of you are still at your therapist from when the wall almost fell on you. Remember that? You're like, my fear every time I close my eyes, I hear you know, the wall starting to collapse. As you watch construction growing, it's an interesting way to think of what God's doing on the earth. God is under construction right now. Jesus said, I will build my church. But the construction isn't edifices like this. It's people. And each time a person turns to the Lord, they're added into the building. So look at this next passage in, in Ephesians chapter 2. It's kind of a cool way to think of, of the church. Paul says to Gentiles, you're not fellows and strangers. You're fellow citizens. You're part of God's household. You're built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, and Jesus is the cornerstone. But look at verse 21. In whom the whole building, so here it is. God calls us a building. We're the building. We are being built together. So every time someone comes to Christ, we're being added to the body for a dwelling of God in the spirit. God goes, like it or not, I'm going to live inside of you, corporately, but also individually. So that means when, when we leave here, God doesn't go, okay, I'm leaving everybody, but I'll see you next week. Even when you go home individually, right, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who dwells in you? whom you have from God, and you're not your own. 
So for example, some of you, I've been in your car. And when I you know, was able to clear away the french fries, the, the pizza box, get the screwdriver, pull it out of the, the, the thing there, and, and um, the soda cans and things like that, and I cleared away, and then got into your seat. Some of you are going, he's talking about me, isn't he? I want you all to squirm and wonder, who's he talking about, right? So, so I would hope if you had somebody else's car that you would go, well, I probably shouldn't throw my pizza on the back seat because it's not my own. And God says, don't you know that your body, it's not your own, for you've been bought with a price. And so therefore, he says, since you are the temple of God, glorify God with your body. And so in the context, Paul says, don't have sexual immorality. Don't have sex before you're married, not because God thinks sex is naughty, but because that's not how he designed sex. It's for the pleasure and blessing of a covenant marriage. Don't do things that are damaging to your body. Don't, don't watch things on television that are soiling God's household. Don't speak in such a way that God's temple is getting besmirched with, with dirt. The Bible says, keep yourself unstained from this world. And so as I, I navigate through life, I remember hearing of a young man after he got saved, somebody was telling a joke. He says, I can't listen to this no more. And they're like, why not? He goes, because these ears have been bought. And that's a good way to think about it. My body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So when we gather, we're not just, yo, what's up, dog? Are the eagles winning? We're the temple of God. And Jesus says, where two or three gather in my name, I'm in the midst of them. And so we're, we're both a corporate and individually. So go home and, and be God's house and let God move around freely. Don't lock them out of half of your life. Don't have west wings where you're going, hey, that's off limits to you, Lord. I'm the temple of God, and where I go, you go. And so I, I have to ask myself, would Jesus be in this place at this time with these people doing this? Sometimes I need to make some changes. So... Having said all that, the early church figured, well, then we don't need a building. So it didn't take them long before they stopped meeting in synagogues and the temple. They started meeting in houses. And they started realizing that Jesus said in Matthew 18, and, and here's an interesting verse, he says, where two or three have gathered together in my name, I'm there in their midst. So, so, so when you get together with Christians in your home, for a time, when, notice he says, two or three are gathered in my name. Just getting together to watch the Super Bowl is not gathering in his name. Nothing wrong with that. Um, I'm all for coming over to people's houses for dinner. In fact, I have a sign-up sheet. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but there's a difference between just getting together and watching a sporting event and gathering in his name. When you're gathering in the name of Jesus, you're gathering with a purpose. You're gathering to have fellowship. You're gathering to talk about Jesus, talk about the Bible, talk about the gospel, talk about your struggles. And some of you, if you think that's crazy, that's, that, that, I understand that. To an unbeliever, that's crazy. What are you people, nuts? You sit around and talk about the Bible and pray for each other? What are you, weird? Well, of course you don't get it because you don't have a new heart. And that doesn't make you a bad person. It just means your heart's messed up. And you're like... How do you know? Because everyone's heart's messed up. The Bible says so. But God says if you come to Jesus, he'll give you a new heart. He'll forgive you of your sins and he'll give you a new spirit within you. And that new spirit within you wants to, to have fellowship and gather in the name of Jesus. So if you're completely awkward around Christians 
and you think we're weird and nuts, and we are, bear in mind that it may be because your heart hasn't been changed. And you can ask the Lord that. Lord, is that what it is? Is that why I hate being around Christians? But as we gather in the name of Jesus, it doesn't need to be in a building. So, at this point, I want to ask this question. So, how should we view this building today? You're like, gee, Pastor, you're really Debbie Downer there, man. I was pretty excited, and now I'm like, geez, it's just a building. It's just brick and mortar. And I'm going, well, hang on here. Let's avoid two extremes. As we begin this journey, the one extreme is to place too much emphasis on this building. This is the sanctuary. The Lord is in his holy temple. Okay? Right now, we're gathering in the name of Jesus. On Wednesday night, this is going to be a basketball court. And God's not going, what are you doing playing basketball in my house? So we don't want to go to the extreme where this building is some special place where only God gets to dwell here and I can only talk to him here. But on the other hand, the Bible's also pretty clear about this. When, when there are momentous events in the lives of God's people, that it's important to stop for a moment, pause and go, all right, let's think about some of the things that the Bible teaches that we ought to do in momentous events. So there's four things I want to talk about now as we kind of move forward. How does God view the building? How should we view the building? The first thing I want us to think about is, is the Bible teaches that for how God has brought us this far before our expansion, we're supposed to look back from time to time and thank God, okay? We're not done the journey, but we're, we're so far. So the first thing we're going to do, we're going to take a look back into the past and say, okay, how far has the Lord brought us? And I want to give you a scripture as an example for this. This is a great verse. I have a little stone on my desk at work that has this verse on it. It was in Samuel's life as he rehearsed how God had done great things in the, in the people of God and what the Lord had done. He stops for a moment. He calls all the people together. It says, he took a stone, big enough that probably people could see it, but not a little pebble. So he picks up the stone and he places it up on a rock and he goes, Ebenezer. And they're going, sounds like Ebenezer Scrooge? And he, no. The Hebrew word Ebenezer simply meant a stone of help. So literally, he picks up a stone and you're going, hey, uh, what you doing there, Sam? You thinking about going into landscaping? He goes, no, Ebenezer. And they're going, oh, stone of help. What do you mean? And he goes, well, thus far, the Lord has helped us. You're going, wait, years ago, when we used to sing those songs, what were they called again, hymns? Somebody wrote these words. Here I raise my Ebenezer, hither by thy help I'm come, and I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. From time to time, it's helpful in your life to stop and say, all right, God, you brought me this far, kicking and screaming at times through many dangers, toils, and snares. If I could have a redo button, I'd go back and do a few things differently, and God's gone, but you can't. So are you going to spend your life wallowing in the past and going, oh, are you going to spend your life saying, I'm messed up, I'm dysfunctional, there's no hope for me? Or can you stop and say, wow, thus far the Lord has brought me. You're like, yeah, but pastor, you don't know what I've been through. And you're right, and I don't want to make, make light of your pain, your pain. But let's start with this. This is a positive thing. It's always a good thing, in my judgment, to be six feet above the ground than six feet under. So you're like, well, I had a miserable life. Well, you're still alive. 
And some of you are going, yeah, I wish I wasn't. And, and listen, if that's how you feel, you're not alone. You're not the first person who hates their life and wants to die. I, I once said, if you're thinking about killing yourself, don't do it. And someone called me that afternoon right here from this church and said, I was thinking about killing myself. So we're not immune to that. But just stop and, and look back and say, man, God brought us this far. Both individually. He's been very merciful to you. You don't deserve to still be alive, and neither do I. The Bible said, it is by the mercies of the Lord we are not consumed, and his mercies are new every morning. So as a church, I want you to look back. Um, Joe and Darlene, would you stand for a moment? This church began in their living room. Just stand for just a moment. Let's thank God. That many, many years ago, when dinosaurs still walked on the earth, you know, I'm only kidding, I'm with you. But this church met in their house. And if you want to read the history, you saw some slides, and all it's cool to see. It actually, it actually began in New Jersey. Now, we got out as soon as we could, but I mean, I'm only kidding. I'm from New Jersey. I know how to say stupid with the best of them. So please don't offer me some water. I, I, I grew up there. I'm, I'm feeling it. So, but we thank God. We look back. We think of the gray nun. We think of the firehouse. We think of the different places that the church has met. And we think of this building that was originally built in 2000. We say, praise God. Thus far, the Lord has built us. And so we look back and we praise God for what he's done in this church. But you don't just stop and go, yeah, the good old days. The second thing I want us to think about as we enter this new building is, is to go, okay, let's praise God for this particular expansion he has made for us. This is not it. This is not the end of all. We're not the perfect church. This isn't the perfect building. And by the way, don't ever look for the perfect church. I already told you why, because if you go there, it won't be perfect anymore. So having said that, think about all the people who have given and worked hard to provide for the expansion of this building. Whenever something good is accomplished for God, we need to be careful to give him all the glory. It's not about guilting and 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 shearing the sheep and, and shaming people. Give, give, the people have to live. Come on, you lowdowns, build for Jesus. You know, that's terrible. And there are people that do that in churches. All they talk about is money. God stirs people's hearts. And God works in our hearts. And that's a joyful thing. If you're a Christian, God is at work in you. He wants to work through you. So look at these verses. When Moses asked them to build the tabernacle, it says, take a contribution, whoever is of a willing heart. If you don't want to give, don't. It's your loss. Verse 22, then all whose hearts moved them. Verse 26, the women whose hearts stirred. Verse 29, the men whose heart and women the Lord moved. So God moves people's hearts. That's a good thing to remember. The Bible says in Proverbs 21:1, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord and he turns it wherever he wishes. President Trump is God's puppet. And so is President Obama, and so is everybody else on planet Earth. It doesn't mean everything they do, God led them. It ultimately means if God wants to do something, he'll get it done. He stirs the hearts of people. And so thankfully, he stirred up these people to give, and he stirred us to give. But he also stirred us to work. Look at this other verse. Haggai, Haggai shows up later on when the temple had been burned to the ground, and it was time to rebuild it, and people were making all kinds of excuses. It's not time to build. Read Haggai chapter 1. It's not time to build. Meanwhile, they're building their own houses, and God's looking down, seeing them coming in and out of Lowe's. Literally, it says, with cedar panels, they're building their own houses. Meanwhile, they're walking by the rubble of where the temple of God should be, and God says, stop it. Go up to the mountains and get wood and start building. 
But notice what the scripture says. Verse 14. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel. And he stirred up the spirit of the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts. We're at we are, where we are right now. Thank God because he stirred people to give and to work. And so we take this moment and we go, God, we praise you. We give you the glory. This is your building. And, and, and when we have 200 children every Sunday and when we get a chance and you could look downstairs and say, God, thank you for the people who you have stirred. And I want you to ask God to stir you. He doesn't just do that corporately. He does that individually. He's got things he wants you to do. He's got good works prepared beforehand. And so the Bible says he will work in you equipping you in every good thing to do his will. He will work in you what's pleasing in his sight. How might he be stirring you today? You're like, oh, I can't do nothing for Jesus. I don't got none of them abilities, Pastor Tom. I can't get up there and preach like you. He doesn't need your abilities, just your availability. He works in us to will and work. That's why I invite you to become a Christian. If you're not a Christian, it seems weird but what you don't understand is we have power inside of us. Christ is the one who changes us. He doesn't just say, stop being bad and start being good. He says, I will come in and dwell you, and you can do all things through Christ because I'll strengthen you. Amen? Amen. So, we're going to praise God for this building. But third, we're not going to just enjoy the club. We're going to be devoted to prayer for this church and this building. I asked this in the first service. First thing I want you to pray for is, look at this first one. Pray that God will use this building as a place where many people can come to first find forgiveness from Christ. Now, God doesn't have to save you in this building. But I just asked for a show of hands. How many of you think you were saved in this building? And it was amazing how many people raised their hand. Anybody here, you say, I think I was saved in this building. Raise your hand. Raise them up. That's Okay, look around. Praise God. Now, God doesn't need a building. He can save you on the moon. Um, matter of fact, I always like to eat moon rocks wet, better than earth rocks anyway because they're a little meatier. So, with that in mind, you could be on the moon or you could be on earth. God can save you. But he saves people sometimes in church buildings. And so be in prayer. Right now, your children are hearing the gospel. How many children have you heard? 80% of people that come to Christ come as a child. How many children might God bring to himself in this building? And then in addition, because you're learning how to share the gospel, what you learn in this building, you can take it out and share Christ. So there's two verses I want you to note. I pray these almost every day. First of all, Paul says, pray that the word of the Lord will spread rapidly and be glorified. Pray that. This is what's fun about being able to look up words in Greek. You don't have to be a genius. You don't have to be part of that minsa to look up words in Greek. Greek is not like this hieroglyphic stuff that you can't understand. You can learn to look up tools, but the word spread rapidly in Greek just literally means to run. Pray that the word of God will run. We call that personifying. Pray that this book will grow little legs and run all over the neighborhood. And listen, it's on the run. My 70-year-old mechanic's been coming, asked me for a Bible. I'm seeing people coming to Christ left and right. I'm seeing people coming out of the woodwork who you would never think are interested in the Bible. You know why? Because the word of the Lord is running. It's spreading. And God doesn't do that just for fun. He does that for his glory. But he does it through prayer. And all of a sudden, one person comes to know Christ, a little boy or girl, and he tells his parents, and they get saved, and then they bring their neighbor, and before you know it, the word of God is running. The word of God wants to run, and we need to pray for God to be glorified as he does so. And then secondly, pray this. 
as I stand and preach or someone stands and preach, but not just for me, but I pray this for everyone in this church. Paul says, devote yourself to prayer and keep alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. By the way, did you notice the phrase, keep alert in it? Here's a little tip. Stop praying while you're laying. You're like, Pastor, every time I try to pray, I fall asleep. Novel idea. Then stop praying only while you're laying. Get up, right? Nothing wrong with praying in bed, but if all you have is, dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. There goes the alarm. Something was disconnected. Devote yourself to prayer and keep alert. And what do I pray for? I don't know what to pray for. Well, here's one thing. Pray that God will open a door for the word. What's that mean? God will give you an opportunity to speak to people about Christ. Tyrone, stand up for a minute, brother. You know Tyrone. Walking down the street in the rain one day. I pulled over. I said, hey, you need a ride? He says, yeah. I gave him my card. I said, hey, if you ever want to learn about the Bible, is this the truth? Two years later, he calls me up. He says, I'm listening to your messages, and I want to come to church. And Tyrone's been saved and baptized. And pray for him because he's gone on our missions trip to learn how to witness to Muslims. Amen? Yeah. Praise Jesus. I'm not some spiritual guru. You could do that. Just pray, God, give me opportunities. You'd be surprised. People that you might not think are interested, just ask them, hey, could I take a Bible sometime? You're like, what if they laugh at me? Well, you won't be the first one they laughed at. You don't have to just witness by your life. Jesus could have done that. He could have gone undercover. But ask God to give you opportunities to speak the gospel. Pray that you'll make it clear. I ask the Lord, whenever I preach, I say, God, in Acts chapter 4, it says, they prayed, Lord, stretch forth your hand so that we can speak your word with power. And signs and wonders take place in the name of Jesus. Be praying that the word of God will powerfully spread, not just in this building, but, but when our men are meeting for Bible study in the Great American Diner, when you're at work, when you're at your sporting event with your kids, pray that God's word all over the world, in the Muslim world, in China, in North Korea, God's word is not in prison, Paul said, so we pray for that. But secondly, we don't just pray for the, the gospel to spread, but then also another thing we can pray for is this. We can pray that people will grow into mature disciples through the many ministries in and out of this building. I'm going to run out of breath here, but I'm going to try to go through some of these quickly. We've got Sunday school, children's clubs, youth groups, young adults. Now, they're not all in this building, but they get trained in this building. There's men's studies. There's women's studies. There's growth groups. There's training seminars. How many times is someone sitting down with a Bible counseling someone else from the Bible? There's grief share for those who have lost a loved one. There's divorce care. There's financial stewardship training. Christian leadership development. We just had a great uh, time over at Cairn that John Beagle led. There's prayer times, encouraging times of fellowship. Pray that children will grow closer to the Lord. People would meet godly spouses here. You're like, I don't know where to meet somebody. I go to all the bars. Pray that God will bring couples together. I take that seriously. If you're looking to meet somebody, you come see me, and I'm, I'll keep my eye out, and I'll pray. I'm not kidding. My kids are like, what do you think? You're your matchmaker? Martin Luther used to do that. If you're godly and you love the Lord and you want to walk with Jesus, and I know somebody else around your age, the same thing, I'll say, hey, go meet. I've done it and had three people get married. And only, now my B, we got to talk about, no, I'm going to stay Get out of here. You might say, he's nuts, right? But pray that people will meet godly spouse here. Pray that people will be healed from sicknesses. Oh, we don't believe that no more, Pastor. What? You don't believe God heals people? 
The Bible says, if anyone among you is sick, let him call for the elders of the church, anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord, and he will be healed. God hasn't promised to heal everybody, but we certainly shouldn't think God doesn't heal anybody. Pray that people will be released from addictions, that we will have ministries. If, unless you've got your head in the sand, we have a nightmare going on right now in America. Addictions, we're losing people left and right. And if you think there aren't addicts in this church, you need to reconsider that. If I asked all the addicts in this church to stand up right now, you'd be shocked. And some of them are in recovery, and some of them are enslaved right now, and they're, and they're not free. And some of them are believers, and some of them aren't. Pray that God will use this building to free people, not just from addictions, but from the various bondages of sin and Satan. Jesus came to set the captives free, to bring healing, to bring living water, to release those in, in struggles with their own mental problems and spiritual problems and financial problems and relational problems. Pray that people will be trained in their marriages and learn how to raise godly children for Christ. I talked about this recently. Just because my old man used a backhand me and I didn't turn out so bad. And I said, you might want to get a survey on that to learn how to raise your kids for Christ. Pray that broken relationships will be restored and that repentance will be normal, that tears will stain this carpet along with coffee. That's normal in Christianity. That's not abnormal. Jesus Christ spoke to the churches in Revelation and all but one of them, he said, I love you and this is what you've done well, but here's where you need to repent. Why do we need to be afraid to repent? We need to learn how to repent. That's normal. And that godly zeal and joy will be cultivated. That's what the Lord wants, a joyful, repentant, godly church of people. Real. We all need to be on the gurney. We're all struggling with sin. We're all not fine. And so we pray that God will use this church to raise up godly disciples. Real quick, a couple other things. We're going to pray that God's going to do a third thing. We're going to pray that people will be called of God into full-time service and that out of this fellowship, many full-time Christian workers will go forth both locally and throughout the world. Where do, where do Christian workers come from? God doesn't drop them out of parachutes. They come from churches. And some of you are digging your heels in and going, no, no, relax. If God's going to call you to full-time ministry, you're going to want to do that. You know why? Because he's going to work in you to will and work of his good pleasure. People say, God, how do I know if I'm called? Pastor, how do I know if I'm called? 1 Timothy chapter 3 says, if anyone desires to be an elder or an overseer, that's a fine work he desires. Would you like to do that? You're like, I'd rather have my eyes poked out than do that. Then relax. God's probably not calling you to do that. But he stirs people. The Bible says the harvest is plenteous. The laborers are few. There's billions of people in this world. And all over the world, including right in this area, are Christian ministries going, we need more help. We need more workers. Where do they come from? Jesus says, pray that the Lord of the harvest will raise up workers for the harvest. You're like, Pastor, do I have to get one of them jungle hats and eat snake meat in Indonesia? No. There are all kinds of trades and technicians and and services to orphans and widows and hospitals and uh, treasures. I know a guy who's an accountant. He travels all over the world. He's a full-time ministry helping Christian ministries with their accounting. The world is wide open and the needs are great. And pray that God, what a joy when we can send out of our church more and more workers for Christ. This doesn't make you a second-class citizen if, you, if you're not in full-time work, but why go to the other extreme? Why not pray that God will raise up an army of 
of soldiers for Christ, people who will take the gospel, and all of us be open to God sending us. So with all that, the last thing, and we'll skip that summary slide, the last thing is, we go, yeah, pastor, that sounds good, but let's, 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 let's just go, all right, I'm going to thank God for where he's brought us, praise God for this expansion, I'm going to pray for the Lord to keep working, and then lastly, let's dedicate ourselves and our resources to being a part of this great work. You matter. Individually, you matter. Ephesians chapter 4 says that the growth of the body happens according to the proper working of each individual part. When you're not here, when you're not committed, when you're not surrendered, you're not just hurting yourself. You're hindering the work of God. And you're missing a blessing. Our mission is to advance the gospels and make disciples who make disciples. Our work's not done. We're like, we're in the building. Now we can just sit back and enjoy it. No. Now we're, we're in a new facility, so it's time to renew our commitment. And you're like, Pastor, we need to take a rest. And I'm like, I get that. Jesus said, come apart and rest a while. Right? Somebody said, if you don't come apart and rest a while, you'll come apart. I've been begging Bob to go away. I don't want to have to feed him applesauce in the asylum because he, he burned himself out and worked so hard. He gives himself, and Janet gives himself so much of the Lord's work. But at the same time, there's no such thing as retirement. You're like, I resent that. You don't retire from Christian work. You retire when you die. The Bible says, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. They've rested from their works. So God wants us to give ourselves to him again. Because of his marvelous grace to renew our commitment to say corporately, Lord, we're Riverstone Church. Here we are, Lord. What do you have for us? I wish I had a giant offering plate. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8. When the, when the apostle spoke of the generous giving of the saints, he says, but they first gave themselves to the Lord. Imagine jumping in the offering plate. Don't do that. It'd be too heavy. But, but don't, don't worry about giving God, oh, I'll give you a couple more bucks. God doesn't need your money. I had a guy come to me one time. He said, I want to give some land to the, to the church. I'm like, well, tell me about your relationship with Christ. Well, I'll be honest. I get drunk every day. I said, well, you're a born-again Christian? He said, oh, I've been born again for 20 years. And you get drunk every day for the last 20 years? Oh, yeah. Does it bother you? No. Well, tell me about getting saved. Well, my mom and dad, I, I just said a prayer to get them off my back. I said, well, listen, before you worry about giving your money to God, you ought to give your life to Christ. And he did. And he became born again. And now he's actively involved in his church. Not this one, but praise God. Give yourself to the Lord. And, and don't look back and say, I did that 20 years ago at Camp, um, what's a good Indian camp? Camp Neshamity, right? That was 20 years ago. How about now? There are times where the people of God refocus. There are times when Joshua would call his people together and said, choose you this day as for me and my house. We will serve the Lord. Elijah, as he called down fire, he said, if the Lord is God, then serve him. And there are times when we have to decisively say, I want to renew my dedication to Christ. And I'm excited. Bob's going to come and close us in prayer. But I want to ask you to, to just stop. And Robert, put that concluding slide up with a couple questions. As we think about this building and, and where we are, what is your heart preoccupied with today? You have a million things. Your health, your family, your finances. But the Bible tells us to fix our affections on Christ and 
run the race that's set before us. He could come at any time. And some of you are hearing the Spirit of God going, recalculating. You're a Christian, but you've lost your way. And you know what? You're not alone. The Bible says you'll never know, or the songwriter said, you'll never know the delights of his love till all on the altar you lay. And so God's calling you to full surrender. Some of you, you are surrendered. You're tired. Thank you. Thank you for your work. Keep persevering. Some of you don't know Christ. And some of you, if, if you died today, you wouldn't go to heaven. And you know that. And I beg you and plead with you to come to Christ. What would prevent you from giving your life to Christ and saying, Lord Jesus, save me a sinner? You're like, oh, I need to learn about you. If you know you're a sinner and you know the Savior died and shed his blood to forgive you, why would you wait? The risen Christ says, whoever comes to me, I won't cast out. Right there in your seat, just say, Lord Jesus, I, I, I believe and I want to be forgiven and become a follower. Would you do that today? Pastor Bob, would you come and close us? We're going to just have a, a corporate dedication prayer together. Bob, as he comes, would you stand with us as, as we have this closing prayer? There we go. When I, got, when I was down in Texas, I was, um, obviously, we were trying to get everything ready to be back in here for today. And, you know, I was down in Texas, but I have to say my heart was up here. And um, as I was down there, I couldn't help but think, and I know I've said this before, about the leadership that God has brought to this church. And, um, you know, I think it's been about six months now since I've preached because of with the expansion going on. But we have the luxury of having Pastor Tom, who basically took the pulpit every Sunday and um, as we were going through this expansion. And just, you know, as we're meeting here, I know Austin is with a group leading for our, our outreach team. And, you know, Jeremy right now, we need to be praying for them because we've got a lot of our youth uh, with Jeremy right now in Northern Ireland as we're meeting here. And here's my prayer for this facility, that it's just not a beautiful building, um, but that this is a place for decades where disciples are made. Um, a couple weeks from now, we have Vacation Bible School. This place is going to be packed with children. Isn't that wonderful? Hearing the good news of Jesus Christ and, uh, you know, that we will be able to send people out. You know, I, I hope we have services where we're praying for our own leaders. We hate to lose them, but that God is sending them to other places. As churches are planted, they go into pastoral ministries, they go into missions ministry, wherever it may be. That's why we did this expansion, is that for decades to come, that the Lord will get hold of our hearts and have us be a church where disciples are made and disciples are sent. When I was down in um, Texas, I went to a wonderful seminar. Um, Dr. Woodbridge is a um, man in his 70s, probably late 70s now. He teaches at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, and he led a session on, rev on revival, spiritual refreshment and revival. And we looked through Scripture, and we went back and saw where revival took place in Scripture. And then he teaches church history, and we went through all of the revivals over the centuries that God has led around the world. And in every one of those revivals, prayer was foundational. And when revival took place, people gathered together, and they were worshiping God, and lives were changed, but it didn't only change the churches. When revival happened, 
It went out into the communities and the cities and the neighborhoods. And that's my prayer for Riverstone Church, that we will be a place seeking in our hearts spiritual revival ourselves, that we become praying disciples, and that God makes an imprint on Yardley, the surrounding communities, and out into the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that we can be back in our home here in Yardley. Father, really, we're just journeying through. Our home is with you. But Father, as we gather as Christians, we can get a taste of what eternity is like as we celebrate with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Father, I pray that we would be a church that is known for our unity. Lord, there can be so many things that come between us, different opinions and different attitudes and conflict. And Lord, the, the, the devil would want nothing more than to come between us and you. And Father, I pray that we would reflect Jesus Christ in all that we do. Father, that we would be a church that shines your light to this world around us and people see and say, wow, there is something different that they have. And Lord, that we would see people come to faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for the many people that have devoted themselves to making this possible, this facility expansion, the expanded rooms. Lord, as we're up here worshiping every Sunday, let us not forget the little lives that are downstairs that are hearing the good news of Jesus Christ and they're learning the word of God. May we be a church that is faithful in proclaiming your word to this generation. Lord, we thank you for your goodness and Lord, we praise you and we thank you that we can be part of your kingdom, to be part of your church and Lord, that you have entrusted us the good news, the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And may we proclaim it to one another and into this world around us faithfully. Father, we dedicate this facility to you. Lord, we pray that you would grow us as a church family to conform more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you.